The following is a special sponsored edition of the Big Four Bio Podcast. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Big Four Bio Podcast. The high cost of drug development is linked to the high rate of therapies that fail in the clinic. Safety concerns relating to the ability of an experimental therapy to bind to more than a target of interest is one major reason drugs fail in development. Charles River Labs is working with its clients to detect off-target binding early in the drug development process using its retrogenics platform, cell microwave technology that can identify potential safety problems of an experimental therapy. We spoke to Mark Aspinall OD, Associate Director of UK Advanced Modalities for Charles River Labs, about the risk of off-target binding, how its retrogenics platform technology works to detect potential problems, and its ability to work across therapeutic modalities. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. We're going to talk about off-target binding, the risks this presents in the drug development process, and how Charles River Labs uses the retrogenics platform to identify potential safety problems with an experimental therapeutic candidate. Many listeners will be familiar with the high cost of drug development today, but can you explain the role clinical failures play in this and to what extent safety problems are a cause of that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that, that a lot of the clients we work with at Charles River um, kind of point towards in terms of the, the development process. Uh, the attrition rate for, for new molecule development is very high. Um, I guess that the, the real challenge for clients comes if they don't identify a potential problem before they get into clinic. Um, the costs of, of, of missing that are very, very high for the, for the companies that are involved. So... Um, you know, we we advocate that we try and do that at an earlier stage to de-risk projects before they get to clinic. Um, it does not everyone does that, but on occasions it, it can get through. Um, and yeah, those those clinical trials once you get into phase one two that they're expensive. Um, and if molecules fail at that point, then the impact can be very significant for for future pipeline development as well. So what we try to what we see usually now is clients trying to mitigate that at an earlier stage and working towards that certainly before they're going to IND submissions to have a really good grounded understanding of how that molecule behaves um, to to effectively make sure that in vivo work goes as well as it can be the problem I take it is that a a therapeutic candidate might be able to bind well with a target but it may not be the only thing it binds with within the body. Can you explain off-target binding and why drug developers should be concerned about this? Yeah, off-target binding is, I guess, a phenomenon of, of biology. Um, even the, the, the best designed drugs run a risk in a very complex organic system of, of binding to something that's unexpected. Now, on occasions, that can actually be a positive thing. Um, and, and there have been clients who've worked with us in the past who've identified off-targets that have benefited that particular drug program and shown it to work more effectively. But 
the flip side of that, and I guess the bigger risk is that it's an off-target that's completely unexpected and can have a pharmacological impact that wouldn't be um, as part part of the original drug design. So I guess there's different types of, of off-target. You can have um, kind of on targets that are off tissue and they can have they can be problematic in and of themselves so if you're looking at the i guess the pharmacokinetics of a drug you want to make sure that it hits its its target tissue and, and delivers the payload in the right way but if it's being picked up in other parts of the body and absorbed and, and processed then that might not be the case um and it won't work as effectively as you want it to alternatively you can have off targets that hit a completely different cell surface protein that is totally unexpected um, and the downstream effects of that could be quite toxic. Um, one of the things that clients often do with the data that's generated from the retrogenic cell microarrays evaluate those off targets. So um, we, we can identify what those protein interactions might be and that complements more traditional processes such as tissue cross-reactivity screens to look at the types of tissue that that can, can engage with. Um, but in, 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 by means of eludicating what those interactions are on the cell surface, it gives clients the opportunity to evaluate the biology behind that and what the implications could be. Can those risks be mitigated? Is it, is it valuable still to move into a clinical setting? There's a whole host of questions that come back from that initial data, um, but it's additive and it, it, it builds that weight of evidence around a molecule to give some confidence that it will be successful when it goes into clinic. What happens when off-target binding isn't detected early in the drug development process? Well, I, again, I guess it comes back to that question of what that off-target is and, and what the impact of it will be. Um, if it's detected too late um, and it's toxic, then I guess the, the, the worst case scenario is it closes a pipeline, it closes a program. Um, and if that's gone into clinic, that's a, a hugely expensive um issue for for a client and that's one of the reasons why we we kind of advocate for doing it earlier um and i guess the earlier you can do it in your process the better so uh, there's an argument for doing it at multiple different stages through your development pipeline certainly pre-ind um because obviously you, you you go through a process whereby you identify lead candidates um they are then worked upon further to Im improve the the, the pharmacology of them, the way that they interact in the body, how they would target particular tissue types. Every change you make to that drug can then induce a potential off-target. So evaluating at an early stage is good, and then really a, in detailed evaluation before going into IND um, gives you a, a real strong um, data set to move forward with and some confidence that, that you're not going to miss anything. How common a problem is this in, in the real world? So it depends on what type of, of drug compounds we're working with, but but certainly for large molecules, um, anything around the fifty percent mark can have off targets. Now they're not they're not necessarily all clinically relevant off targets, but they still exist, and there's a a necessity then from a like a regulatory standpoint to to evidence that they are not going to be toxic or, or some way damaging to the, the host that would receive that drug, um, and that's that's true of, of Pretty much any modality type really even things like monoclonal antibodies that are designed from the ground up to be you know highly specific can still have off targets um, and that's that then leads into small molecule space where if you're building a, an adc with a small molecule payload that that linker protein can cause a problem as well as the 
the antibody or the actual um, small molecule itself. So it, it, anything that, that you run with can potentially have off targets. And, and typically what we've seen across the industry is 40 to 50% of, of drugs have an off target, at least one or two off targets that can be um, identified using the array. Um, and it, it's about mitigating that and, and having that knowledge when you move forward. Given that that level of risk, how thoroughly do drug developers consider off-target binding before advancing a candidate into the clinic? I think it's I think it's probably at the forefront of of many people's minds when they're developing projects. Um, I guess the conventional way of doing things is to use tissue cross-reactivity screens, and that's been the gold standard for many years and continues to be so. Um, but there are novel technologies now like the retrogenics platform that can be very additive to that there's obviously a regulatory requirement as well um, i know that's slightly different in in certain spaces like the oncology space where the, the the regulations have changed somewhat but in essence you know people who are building new drugs to take to market need to demonstrate that they're safe and part of that is is looking at, at on target and off target liabilities um, but there are now more tools available for clients to actually look at those in different ways um, that, that, again, builds that weight of evidence. And the array technology that we have at Charles River supports that. Well, let's talk about that. The the Retrogenics platform, this is a, a cell microarray technology to screen candidates. How does the platform work? So the platform is really designed to be a holistic collection of um, cell surface proteins that you typically find in the human body. Um, it's a microarray platform, but it differs from more conventional microarrays in the sense that we're expressing proteins in a native human environment. So they're, they're, they're encoded in cDNA um, that are expressed in human cells. And that sets it apart from other uh, array-based technologies that um, would use recombinant protein expression. Um, whilst that's perfectly adequate for in, in many cases, for membrane-bound based proteins, it can be challenging because of the nature of those proteins. They tend to be very sticky and hydrophobic um, and in a recombinant setting that that's not a good combination. Um, what we find with the array is that um, you can effectively apply any molecule to that technology provided that we can visualize it. So for large molecules, that tends to be fluorescent labeling with one form or another. For small molecules, it's traditionally been a radio label of some type, but we are working towards a label-free solution in that space too. Um, but in essence, you're looking at very specific interactions on the cell surface. Um, and at the moment we have uh, coverage of, of nearly 90% of human cell surface proteins, um, coupled with heterodimeric protein complexes. So to look at the kind of complex protein interactions that exist on the cell surface and also transiently expressed cell surface proteins that are secreted, and they can be toxicologically relevant as well. They can demonstrate how a molecule would be sequestered in the blood and, and trans transported around the body. So there's a, it's multifaceted, the way we can do it and, and the data that we generate. But because we're expressing those proteins in the native environment, what we see are very specific interactions. We don't generate large numbers of, of interactions and large numbers of potential off targets, it tends to be quite a defined set of data that we, we generate for clients. How do you work with drug developers? What's the process and, and what's the result uh, a client might get? That's a good question. I, I think it, it depends on a couple of different factors. So 
the size of the company to some to some degree you know what stage they're at um what stage into the development pipeline so some some clients will come to us right before they're going to ind submission and they want to to run a very comprehensive study um to add to that weight of evidence others can use the same technology at a much earlier stage um to aid candidate selection uh, early lead selection studies we call them um where they could have a cohort of maybe you know 10 or, or 20 molecules that they want to scrutinize and, and help them pick lead candidates to move forwards um and then come back to us at a later stage when when they're ready for ind submission so it varies to some degree the way in which we'll work with those clients is really to understand the molecule itself in terms of how it's constructed um how are you going to be able to detect it on the on the array and at that point they can ship the materials to us and we run the project based on on the requirements needed so if we're, we're working with an early lead selection tool then perhaps we'll be screening multiple molecules in the same sample set and, and running that through very quickly for them to generate um, i guess a profile for each of those molecules and that gives them some indications to how specific they are if there's any potential off targets that they need to worry about at that very early stage and if so whether they can be engineered out of those molecules when we're working with clients at the latter stages at, at ind stage then we we build in different types of controls for that to give a wider um element to the study and, and look at the different components there so if you're working with perhaps more complex molecules like um, CAR T cells or, or maybe even um, multi-specific antibodies, we can break out all of the different control elements to that to look at the individual components of those complex modalities and, and determine where potentially an off-target, if it is found, originates from. The data we generate is semi-quantitative now. It was very qualitative originally. Um, and that's been a move we've made in the last year to try and enhance the work that we do and it allows clients to really see the very specific binding interactions that are observed um, on target and off target liabilities across the, the full plethora of, of proteins that we have in the library which is now over six and a half thousand proteins strong are false positives at all a concern or is there a risk you might disqualify a good candidate um not not particularly no the, the false positive rate for for the technology is um very low in actual fact and i think there's only uh one example i can think of um from speaking with clients where we've identified something that could potentially be a false positive and that's after you know 13 years of work and, and, and thousands of molecules running through the the array um I think that's probably borne out the fact that it's not just the cell microarray that the clients get access to. Um, they can have access to orthogonal analysis as well. Um, and we do things in different ways. So often the arrays will be um, run in a fixed state. So we, we, we fix the slides um, that the array is made of to, to enable faster turnaround of data. But we do have control elements then at the end of studies where we build in um, live cell assessment and orthogonal analysis with flow cytometry to further evaluate any interactions we observe. Um, so the likelihood of a, a false positive actually getting through to the latter stages of a study are probably quite small. Um, and I think that's been borne out of the data that we've we've been um, shared from clients over the, the, the course of the last 10 years. How comprehensive is retrogenics and how predictive is it of what a candidate will do in the body? So in terms of the, how comprehensive, um, 
if you look at the human plasma membrane protein elements of the array, we, we have over over 85, nearly 90% coverage. Um, for secreted proteins, that's higher, that's above 90% coverage. And we're really reaching the point where the proteins that, that aren't in the array are so big, um, they're actually very difficult to express in a, an in vitro system. So we're actually working behind the scenes on ways to, to, to work around that. Um, and find solutions to it to, to enable us to express even um, higher percentages of, of human proteins as a consequence. In terms of um, how that works in relation to the human body, uh, as I touched on earlier, because we're working with human cells, um, whilst it's an in vitro system, the way in which those proteins are expressed, folded, post-translationally modified and presented on the cell surface, is indicative of an in vivo setting because we're doing it in live human cells at the point at which we express them um, and that means that when you look at the interacting the interaction parameters for a drug um, or a test article they're binding to a correctly folded extracellular domain on the cell surface of those cells and in doing so that means that you're seeing a real interaction um, that you would expect to be able to emulate in a, an animal model um, or in a human, um, as opposed to an interaction with a recombinant protein where that may be a, an unfolded extracellular domain protein and, and the, the way in which the drug would bind to that is somewhat different. So, um, and it's one of the reasons why we have a, a very low false negative and false positive rate as well. Um, so that, that, that's generally the way it works and the why, why it's so successful and why we have such a, a, a distinct data set that's generated at the end of it. So typically for every molecule we'll screen, we, we might see two to three off targets at most um, in, in the event that we find one. But obviously we talked about 50% of molecules having off targets. The, the opposite to that is that 50% of them don't and they go through clean. Um, and that's that's a really positive um, data value actually, because if you look at that compared to something like a, a protein array, that probably wouldn't be the case. When in the discovery process would this technology ideally be used? Um, it, I'd say if you look at the history of the technology, probably 80% of the work we've done over the years has been pre-IND, so maybe a year or two before going into regulatory approval. Um, so it's it's preclinical. Um, we have on occasions had clients come to us post-clinic um, where they've perhaps taken a molecule through IND, it's been approved, it's gone into clinic, and then they've, they've identified some odd PK values that, that they can't explain. Um, we've screened those molecules for them to look for potential explain, explanations for that in terms of off-targets. But the vast majority of cases would be in that kind of pre-IND space. But more and more clients now are starting to see the value in doing that at a much earlier stage. So for lead candidate selection across multiple programs, because of the way the technology works, you can you can actually put multiple programs worth of samples together to, to screen. Um, certainly in the large molecule space, in the small molecule space, that's more challenging because they have to be radio labeled, but we can still generate data for clients at the early stage if that's what they want to do. Um, and it, it is very much dependent upon the client's, I guess, mindset towards stratifying risk. Um, so some, some of our large clients like to do it at an earlier stage, whereas 
um, biotechs, perhaps some of the smaller biotechs prefer to do it at the R&D stage. And um, it's entirely dependent on, on what their, their demands are. You mentioned earlier that you can do both small and large molecules with this technology. What, what's the range of therapies that you can test? Well, in short, provided we can see it, we can use it. Um, now, I think in the, the large molecule space that's being tested at the moment. So, you know, there's 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 more and more kind of advanced therapeutics that are coming um, certainly into the research phase of, of the market. And um, we're, we're being asked to evaluate molecules that we've never seen before. Um, but by and large, we can get it to work. Um, there aren't, I can't think of an example where there is a molecule that we haven't been able to su substantially get to work. Um, even in some some cases where we're working with things like polysaccharides, you know, we've been asked on a couple of occasions to work on those. And they can be very challenging, but nonetheless, we can still get tractable data for clients from it. Um, it is a very uh, modality agnostic platform and tool, which which works very nicely. Regulators are increasingly concerned about the safety of therapeutics in, in people who are pregnant. How does the technology address this concern? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think we've worked with, with some, some of our clients to kind of address that over the last couple of years as it's, as it's become more of a, uh, an important aspect. Um, I guess one of the benefits of a technology like the Rexgenics platform is that it, it can include proteins from from any scenario really. Um, oftentimes we get asked, we've been asked for many years by clients to incorporate things that aren't necessarily part of our core set of proteins. And that's, I guess, where this, this aspect came from. We were approached by, by one of our clients um, to, to build this out and, and look to see if we could um, create an aspect of the array that covered prenatal safety. Um, and that's something we were able to do. So the technology now incorporates 98, well, over 98% um, of the human cell surface proteins that would be representative of um, 10 to 18 weeks gestation. Um, and that's, I guess, a, a world first, really, that, that there's no other technology that can do that. Um, and it allows us to be able to incorporate that as a standard to the studies that we undertake. So it doesn't matter whether it's a very early stage candidate that's been taken taken forwards um, as part of lead selection or an IND submission submittable data set, um, that information is captured um, and, and it's incorporated as part of our core library now. So it's a real step change for us when, when we launched it and it's um, it's proven to be a, a successful uh, intervention for, for, for the technology. Are results from the Retrogenics platform technology used to support regulatory filings to begin human clinical trials? They certainly are, yes. Um, and again, this will depend somewhat on the modality that's being used or perhaps the um, more accurately the, the uh, therapeutic area they're going to be used in. Um, the technology works very well with uh, conventional gold standards, which are, such as tissue cross-reactivity screens. It can be very supportive of that. Um, where Tissue cross-reactivity can tell you which tissue um, you might see interactions with. The RetroDotes platform tells you what proteins that they'll see, so you get the where and the what. Um, 
conversely, there are clients who've used it independently um, and haven't have, haven't used tissue cross-reactivity screens as well. And it'll very much depend on um, the scenario that that client is is facing at that point in time. Um, but right across the board, it's been used for um, IND for for many years. It's had regulatory approvals for, for some pretty big um, blockbuster drugs, such as uh, Kim Raya, um, which is the Novartis CAR T, the first therapeutic that was. Um, launched in, and approved in that space. So, yeah. We talked about the role of the Retrogenics platform for off-target screening, but does it provide any insight into potential novel targets? Yeah, it's a good. It's another good question. And, and actually, when the technology was originally designed, it was designed with that in mind to, to go after novel targets. Um, and I guess the the off-target specificity was born out of that. Um, so. We have a strong track record in in identification of receptor interactions. Um, it's something we we've done for for a long time. And the first um, big publication that, that I guess the Retrogenics platform had back in 2013 came out in Nature, looking specifically at that. So that was um, looking at uh, malaria um, in childhood childhood malaria and looking for for interactions between the the disease and and, and the human body. And we were able to identify very specific. Um, viral interaction partners. Um, so that's very true for, for large molecules. Ironically, in the small molecule space, it's probably more more prevalent because small molecules tend to come to us with a phenotypically derived background, so they know how it behaves, but they don't necessarily know what the molecule engages with. And certainly on the cell surface, we can begin to elude that for, for, for clients and, and look for specific interactors. Um, for something like a small molecule that may ultimately interact with a, a target protein intracellularly, we don't always um, have the ability to find that for them. Um, but we can look at the biology on the cell surface. And if it is a cell surface binder, then we can identify the novel receptor in that route. So, yes, it's it's been used extensively for that over the years. Mark Aspinall, OD, Associate Director of UK Advanced Modalities for Charles River Labs. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Big Four Bio podcast is brought to you by Big Four Bio, the leading aggregator service of the top life sciences regions around the world. To subscribe for free to Big Four Bio's daily newsletters, go to bigfourbio.com. This podcast is produced by the Levine Media Group for Big Four Bio. Our theme music is provided for the podcast by the Jonah Levine Collective and appears on the album Attention Deficit on Alpha Pup Records. <laughs>